Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 70, Elder Elite. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you once again with a discussion topic. And since it's episode 70, we figured we'd honor those actors in the genre field that are 70 or older. Which, yeah. And we planned it that way, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think actually we had this uh, topic lined up a long time ago, but then some of the listeners suggested some topics and we ended up putting those in front. So we've had this one in the can for a while, but it lined up quite well there. <laughs> and uh, there aren't as many uh, 70 plus actors and actresses as you'd think, but it's kind of refreshing to know that some people can still make a career. And, you know, of course they skip around to different films and stage work and other types of TV shows. But some of these that we were bringing up today have a, a quite a bit of breadth in the genre field. Yeah. And I think it's especially difficult for older women to maintain yeah. roles. And I think that's certainly something we realized when we went to search for possible actors for this podcast. Yeah, that was something that was a bit of a revelation for us. Yeah. So, well, why don't we go ahead and get started? And, you know, you and I have had the opportunity to interview a lot of great actors, showrunners, writers, tech people, behind the scenes people. And it got me to thinking a few of them were rather intimidating for us. I mean, Trisha Helfer, for other reasons, was intimidating. <laughs> Clark Gregg, Michael Emerson, but George Takai, clearly intimidating. He turned out to be the <laughs> nicest guy. But my first choice, William B. Davis. Remember that one? Oh, my gosh, yes, because we were anticipating it quite a bit. And it was very early on in the podcast. I think it was right at the very beginning of season two of Sci-Fi Fidelity. So we felt like we had arrived. <laughs> yeah. And as I recall, there were some kind of difficulties and he just said, ah, just call me at my number. Here it is. Exactly. <laughs> so William B. Davis, you know him from the X-Files. You may know him from Continuum and you better know him from Continuum and you better have listened to our podcast. But <laughs> yeah, William B. Davis is 81 years old. And not unlike Michael Emerson's character of Ben Linus on Lost, the Canadian actor Bill Davis's cigarette smoking man was initially supposed to merely stand in the background of scenes with this sinister stare, a Morley cigarette in his mouth. And if you have watched the X-Files at all, I, I think cigarette smoking man is truly iconic in the television world. I, I think people that are not even fans of the X-Files kind of know who cigarette smoking man is yeah he's he's almost become an archetype in conspiracy sci-fi yeah and obviously his role gradually expanded as the the showrunners realized what a great character they had on their hands and what ends up happening during the course of the nine seasons of the x-files but 
this character who went from really being just window dressing to a certain extent ends up being at the center of the conspiracy storylines and you know just just what a transformation yeah and it's one of those things that after the x-files was over you would still spot him every now and then in different shows or maybe even go back and see something that he was in before and when we noticed that he was going to be cast in continuum boy were we psyched about that because he makes the perfect villain in a very very different sense in that show all right. And you longtime listeners know Mike and I got our start with our continuum podcast, Liberate. And when we found out that Simon Barry was going to cast William B. Davis to play older Alex Sadler, oh, it, it, it <laughs> doesn't get much better than that. And uh, of course, he turns out to be the perfect choice. And we don't see him smoking in continuum, but we do see him in the background pulling the strings, manipulating the corporate governmental futures that lead to the 2077 future that spurs the political terrorist group liberate to try to rein in the corporate congress after all i also noticed that he's got a recurring role on chilling adventures of sabrina yeah methuselah (laughs) and how perfect is that and how different is that and I i gotta believe after talking to him he's probably having a ball on the set of Sabrina. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine he's finished working in any sense. I think he would keep going as long as they'll let him. So, you know, we talked to him a little bit about some of his work outside of television, where he's kind of an activist in the skeptic group or something like that, wasn't it, that we mentioned? So that was kind of fun, too. But yeah, seeing him show up in the cast announcements for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina was was really fun, too. But I mean, there's nothing that's going to equal for me. The cigarette smoking man, of course, but also that pilot of Continuum when he just stares as the company travels back in time and he looks not surprised one bit. And that was just like one of the best pilots in sci-fi TV. Yeah, no question. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about someone who I think people would riot if we didn't put him on our list. And that's, of course, Patrick Stewart. We had to get at least one Star Trek person in here and... Patrick Stewart, of course, was the captain for Star Trek The Next Generation of the USS Enterprise. He's 79 years old, but guess what? He's not done. Star Trek Picard is going to be coming out to CBS All Access, and so we're really looking forward to that. But, you know, like many on this list as we go through it, Patrick Stewart does have an illustrious career outside of television. In fact, Sir Patrick is unequaled on the Shakespearean stage, and he's not the only one with the Sir title in front of his name that's going to be on this list. But if there's one USS Enterprise captain that can rival William Shatner's original Captain Kirk, it is Jean-Luc Picard. Because they always had this very distinct personality that usually was illustrated with some quirks. And whether it was his penchant for Earl Grey tea, hot, or his signature command, engage. You know, Picard just is about as unique and quirky as, you know, a character like Sherlock Holmes, who everyone likes to point out the different bits and pieces of the personality that are illustrated with his quirks. And I like that about him. Yeah. And in so many ways, he's the perfect follow up to William Shatner's Captain Kirk, because Kirk, you know, kind of flew by the seat of his pants. And yet here's uh, Picard, who I don't want to say by the book, but there's a certain decorum that he has 
that Kirk doesn't have. Yeah, that's true. It's almost like they were going for the opposite of Kirk in some ways. And to this day, uh, whenever I think of Picard, I still get chills from his defiant declaration. There are four lights in the iconic episode where he was being tortured by the Cardassians. No, not the Cardassians. <laughs> the Cardassians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now uh, Patrick Stewart is coming back to the role of Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Picard for CBS All Access. And we'll get to see other people from Star Trek The Next Generation, including Brent Spiner as Data, Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine, Marina Sirtis as Troy, and even Jonathan Frakes as Riker. So, I mean, these are some of the key players. So just the fact that they're going to be reprising their roles is very exciting. And in this show, Picard is in retirement, but news of the dissolution of the Romulan Empire from the more recent films, some of the events from those, will be part of the story, as will the effects of Data's death in Picard's final appearance in the film Nemesis. So they're kind of going to be merging the new Star Trek events with the prior version of things. Star Trek Prime meets Star Trek. So I'm really looking forward to Star Trek Picard, and I hope they don't screw it up. (laughs) So so you're not even going to mention his favorite work of mine. What's that? The hard cider commercials. <laughs> Those are very good. And of course, you know, science fiction fans also love him in the X-Men movies. But, you know, this is a television podcast. <laughs> yep. All right. So as we said at the top of the discussion, it was really difficult to find an older actress. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And and I, gosh, I wish I could remember who it was. I read an interview where she talked about the fact that she wasn't really ready to retire There just weren't any roles for women her age. And I mean, it is what it is. I I don't know what to say about it, but Diana Rigg of Game of Thrones, and I think that's where most people know her of late, who is 81 years old, has certainly been fortunate to stay in the game, so to speak. And and she's an English actress. Uh, We know her as Elena Tyrell, the matriarch of one of Westeros' most powerful families. But for me, I'm of the age that my first encounter with Diana Rigg was with the mid-1960s spy-fi series, The Avengers. No, not those Avengers. (laughs) No. The better Avengers. And I don't know if you're familiar with that series or not. I totally am, yes. (laughs) Okay. Where she plays the sexy, leather-clad Emma Peel, who's partnered with the very proper John Steed. And, of course, this is decades before the term shipping came up. (laughs) But in retrospect, I guess what I love is that that really wasn't an issue. I mean, there was certainly a a dramatic age difference between the two, probably about 20 to 25 years. But it just wasn't really something they focused on at that point. But she was a martial arts expert, science genius, And really one of television's earliest feminist role models. And, you know, now we we do have a lot. I I mean, young women are very fortunate in in this day and age in terms of television and film that there are a lot of female characters that not only kick ass with their bodies, they kick ass with their minds. But Emma Peel was one of the first. And. She also became a fashion icon at the time when Americans looked to England 
for fashion direction. And this is the age of Carnaby Street, uh, the mid to late 60s. So it, it was really, I don't want to say she became iconic, but she was on a lot of magazine covers at the time. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, I had heard of her before she got to Game of Thrones, for sure. So it's definitely someone who has had already entered sort of the emeritus uh, status even before she got to Elena Terrell. Right. And as Lady Tyrell, of course, she takes on Cersei Lannister head on. And perhaps my favorite scene, yeah, not in the show, maybe not even in that season, but she finally admits that it was she who poisoned King Joffrey, something we suspected all along but tell Cersei I want her to know it was me (laughs) oh it was great and then she you know her ever present head and neck attire it's just something regal about her and clearly she's the head of house Tyrell at that point we get that but there was nobody else that was rocking that look for sure (laughs) her sarcasm is her most evident characteristic and you know she throws verbal barbs at whoever stands in her way and sometimes just if they're not in her way just uh i think you know to to exert her power and influence so diana rigg uh, i wish we had more of her and hopefully we will see more of her in the next few years right and it just occurs to me as you're talking about this i'm looking through the list all the characters on our all the actors on our list here are not American. <laughs> In fact, a lot of them are from the UK. And like I said, a couple of them even have knight titles. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Diana Rigg has a lady title and just didn't come up in our research. But the one I want to talk about is the other sir, and that is Sir Anthony Hopkins from Westworld. He is 81 years old. Now, of course, he is best known for his screen work, his his silver screen work, not his small screen work. But as another knighted actor, Anthony Hopkins, well, he may have an Oscar for his role in Silence of the Lambs, but today's audiences know Tony as the creator of the Western-themed AI-inhabited theme park, Westworld, in HBO's sci-fi drama of the same name. Robert Ford is his character, and his partner, Arnold Weber, and he developed the technology for the park, but they began to take very different views about the sentience of the Android hosts that they built to inhabit the role-playing game of sorts. And Hopkins role was a great one for season one. And in fact, it was a huge part, I think of season one's success. And that may have been the point of bringing him on in the first place, just draw the audience in with his involvement, kind of his star power, bring them in and then kill him off. Uh, that's what I thought. When I saw season one, I I figured that was the end of him, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. And a lot of people, probably more of the younger uh, viewers and and listeners to the podcast, maybe aren't aware that Westworld, the HBO series, uses the 1973 film Westworld as its jumping off point. And Yul Brenner as the lead character in the film, that's a tough act to follow. So choosing anthony hopkins what a great choice well now that makes me wonder how old ed harris is i have to because <laughs> ed harris plays the the man in black in in westworld uh so he would have been a good choice let's see how old is ed harris he's only 65 years old so never mind oh. <laughs> 68 ah, mere child 
<laughs> he's 68 years old. But yeah, the funny thing though is, is that Anthony Hopkins, I don't know if maybe they're paying him a, a king's ransom, but in season two, we learned that the savvy tycoon still has his consciousness stored within the cradle, which is a virtual realm at the heart of the park. So, you know, Robert Ford is not quite finished. He's not finished with the park. He's not finished with Bernard, who is a host version of his original partner. So, you know, that being said, I have looked around and we still don't quite know if Hopkins is going to be involved in season three, which is coming back in 2020. But at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. But Anthony Hopkins is one of those people that even though he's in his 80s and some of these other actors on our list are in their 70s, you almost don't see him quitting ever. (laughs) You know, they're going to have to take him out in a coffin. Uh, I know. And and again, as I get older, I just have so much respect for these actors and, you know, in in any field that continue working, you know, into their 70s and 80s because they clearly love what they're doing. Oh, sure. All right. Well, my final choice, and if you search for the word eccentric, don't be surprised if one of the characters, Australian actor John Noble, has portrayed in his 30 plus year career appears next to that definition. (laughs) Yeah. And John Noble is 71 years old. We know him, I think, first from the Fox series Fringe, but he also had a lead character role in Sleepy Hollow. But for me, he came to prominence as Dr. Walter Bishop in the sci-fi series Fringe as a man in his later life who ends up getting freed from a mental institution to work with his son and an FBI agent investigating unexplained events and cases that essentially qualify as X-Files. And I think at first that was certainly a danger that Fringe had to avoid they didn't want to simply parrot the x-files and boy did they not do that yeah i think at first maybe season one was in that vein but they quickly diverged right and his character was just so great because he was always teetering on the edge of lucidity and yet whenever the chips were down whenever their backs were to the wall and to use about as <laughs> as many cliches as I can in one sentence. He was always able to gather his focus and help solve the problem because he was the science guy. His son, he was more, I don't want to say the muscle, but but he was he was more in, in the field work and, and guiding them. And then, of course, the uh, FBI agent played by Anna Torv. But after Fringe ends, Fox cast him in a recurring role in Sleepy Hollow, which is a supernatural tale loosely based on the Washington Irving character of Ichabod Crane. And and that was a show that I really liked. It got a little, you know, when I say a little silly for me after a while, there were certain things that they did that I just couldn't cope with anymore. It's like, dude has been here for several years now get a normal set of clothes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But we're talking about John Noble's character and he played a guy named Henry Parrish, AKA Jeremy Crane, who was the son of Ichabod. And, and if you know, the story Ichabod Crane is, is now a man in his thirties who wakes up in 20, I guess it was probably 2016 or 17 at that time, but the present he is what's known as a sin eater, 
And did I also mention he was one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but yes, he was. <laughs> but, you know, he, he plays this kind of character so well. Uh, he's got these distinctive vocal inflections. And he is Australian, but the Australian accent, you know, he's got an accent, but you can't quite put your finger on what it is. Well, that's what's funny, too, is that there are certain actors that have flawless American accents, and his is actually one of them. But every once in a while, as you're watching Fringe, something Australian will sneak through. And I I, kind of love when that happens, actually. (laughs) Right. And in Fringe, during a good part of the later seasons, he got to actually play two characters, Walter Bishop in one dimension, (laughs) Walter Bishop in another dimension, and they were about as diametrically opposed as you can be. So that was really great to see as well. Yeah, that that you really got to see what he was capable of as an actor if you were seeing him for the first time, which I certainly was in Fringe. So you realize, man, this guy's got some some game, some chops. (laughs) And by the way, I just want to mention that uh, I get excited when you start talking about Sleepy Hollow. It reminds me that the actress playing Jenny Mills in that character, Lindy Greenwood, is going to be in The Expanse season four as Dr. Elvi Okoye, who is one of my favorite characters from the novels. So that's something to look forward to for Sleepy Hollow fans. Oh, I just saw her in something else. And now that you bring her up, I can't remember what it is. It was weird because but. I visited the set of The Expanse and none of us knew the casting announcement hadn't been made at that point. And they were filming a scene with her in it. And we, all the reporters were there going, is that Lindy Greenwood? Oh my God. Oh my God. So that was kind of fun. But um, back to the 70 plus acting contingent, I have to bring up yet another British actor. Uh, My whole list is nothing but Brits and Ian McShane. I guess he's more Scottish with that kind of name, but he is 76 years old and he's been playing on American gods as a main character and just killing it. Of course, you know, a lot of people know Ian McShane as the charismatic, menacing, and lawless 19th century brothel and barkeep, Al Swearingen in HBO's Deadwood. But he's certainly made a name for himself as Mr. Wednesday, who's kind of like a modern incarnation of the Norse god Odin in American Gods, which has its third season coming in mid to late 2020. But David, you and I talked about season one, Right when it was getting started, we just discussed the first couple of episodes, and certainly Ian McShane was a huge part of my enjoyment of that series. I didn't stick with it, but Ian McShane is definitely a reason to stick around for those who enjoy uh, that show. Yeah, I didn't either, and again, I may go back to it. I'll probably watch the movie. I mean, why not? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those shows that's an acquired taste, but, um, you know, for those people who love Neil Gaiman, I mean, you know, Got to definitely have that in your repertoire. But Ian McShane has been a great foil for Ricky Whittle's character. People know Ricky Whittle from The 100, but he's also been playing Shadow Moon in, uh, opposite Ian McShane. And just the devious way in which Ian McShane's character manipulated Shadow into doing his bidding over the course of the seasons, which we don't really discover until later on. It's just a ploy that seems to be really worthy of McShane's Deadwood legacy because it's like he plays a certain type of character and we want to see him in that kind of role. I mean, I don't think he, he he's had a long illustrious career like many on this list, but Deadwood, which is not a genre show, at least not a sci-fi fantasy style genre show, but 
I mean, that's such an iconic role. And so it's great to see it reinvented in kind of a different way in the adaptation for American Gods. But, you know, American Gods had some trouble with some gaping plot holes in season two, from what I hear. And they went from Brian Fuller and Michael Green running things in season one. And then Jesse Alexander jumped up as showrunner in season two. And he was asked to step down halfway through production. But guess what, Dave? Now Chick Egley will be at the helm for season three. And he co-created The Dark Angel with James Cameron. So you got to believe that's a good sign. <laughs> well, that is a good sign. Never a good sign when you're asked to step down midway through a season. <laughs> no. But uh, but yeah, Dark Angel, just again, I, I know so many people have never seen that. So guys, only two seasons. Go out and check out Dark Angel. Yeah. You won't be disappointed. And so, you know, it just makes me hope that maybe season three will pull it, pull it back up into uh, a, a better show. And um, it's just it's got a lot of depth to it, a lot of literary elements to it. So it definitely deserves to carry that legacy that Neil Gaiman put into his novels. Um, because, you know, there's American Gods, there's the Anansi Boys. So there's plenty of material to work from from the novels. But McShane will definitely be returning to his central role in the series in season three. So we, we can definitely look forward to more of his wonderful acting in his later years. Okay. So do we have any honorable mentions this time? Uh, maybe some listener feedback. Yep. We're going to get into listener feedback and see what they shared with us. We definitely wanted to mention James Cromwell, who's 79. He recently did a, a turn in counterpart, which was that JK Simmons vehicle. And JK Simmons, if you're wondering, is too young for the list. <laughs> He's only 64. But uh, I, I figured James Cromwell didn't have quite as much of breadth as the other people on our list. But we also are going to be talking about The Good Place, uh, we're thinking, in October. So can't forget Ted Danson, who's not necessarily a genre actor, but he's been killing it in The Good Place at age 72, right? <laughs> he sure has, no question. And then I was so disappointed. I was looking around for, uh, since you had Diana Rigg, I wanted to have a female on my list. So I looked up Barbara Sokova of 12 Monkeys She's like months away from her 70th birthday <laughs> as we broadcast this podcast. So sadly, she wasn't quite old enough. But, you know, just people in their 60s and, and lower 70s, you know, that's still just as much to be admired, you know, because most of us are in retirement at that point in our careers. So it's great to see the actors loving their craft and sticking with it. Yeah. And, and these are not fringe characters. No pun intended. No pun, <laughs> pun was intended. I mean, I mean, these are key characters to their respective shows. Oh, of course. And whether it's a mentor or whether it's a captain of a starship or whatever you want to say, we have a lot of people to, to thank for their work in this field. But here are some of the ones that the listeners came up with on the Facebook group. All right. And that was, of course, recorded a little while ago. Our discussion that we recorded there was brought up before we introduced the topic on our Facebook group. And so it's interesting, Dave, how the listeners come up with some of the same ones we do. But boy, did they come through with some ones we had not thought of. <laughs> no. And, and you know, I mean, certainly there's some familiar names on the list that uh, the listeners put up in the Facebook group. But yeah, as you said, uh, it's almost like, how did we forget that person? Exactly. And I'm, and I'm glad that we also got a few female entries to the list because of course the whole fact that they're omitted from the research speaks a lot to the state of the industry, <laughs> unfortunately. So let's start with Faith's contribution. Faith, of course, honed right in on Sir Patrick Stewart all day, every day, she says. 
I had to check on ages before continuing my list, Faith says. So she then added Ted Danson and who could have neglected to remember Kathy Bates. I was so pleased to see her include that. I double checked it and yes, she is above 70. I think she's 72 or so. And of course, who can forget her involvement in American Horror Story? So definitely a great entry for the list. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have thought she was 70. So No, no, um, not at all. Yeah, so All right, now Joe checks in and brings up Ian McKellen who was a spry 80. Oh wait, TV rather than movies, eh? <laughs> Yeah, um, and I even sent you a message. I think it was uh, Schwarzenegger, and then you shot back, nope, movies, not uh, TV, <laughs> not movies. That's right. Uh, he also mentions Frank Langella, who is 81, uh, Deep Space Nine, of course. He's certainly done a lot of movies, Robot and Frank, Dracula, Masters of the Universe, Gabriel in the Americans. But, you know, we always have to set some parameters, and, and I think you laid it out there. The person needs to be in a currently airing show or a show that's about to air. Exactly. And and that's why I actually added that little bit about Gabriel and the Americans, because I loved that show. And although that's not genre, he was such a great character in the Americans, and that means he is currently working because the Americans was canceled very recently. But yeah, if it were just Deep Space Nine alone, I'm not sure Frank would qualify, but but certainly he's an actor worth mentioning in the field in general. So thank you, Joe. And then Richard came up with a huge list and some really great ones on here, including ones we mentioned. He brought up two of the ones that we had as our honorable mentions. Ed Harris, who is 69 says Richard, but he will be 70 when Westworld season three is released next year. I believe we thought he was 68. So I'll have to fact check that one. But Richard also brought up James Cromwell, who was in counterpart. We mentioned him as well. And the one that he brought up that I just couldn't believe, not only from the standpoint of we left him off the list, but I couldn't believe that he was above 70. (laughs) And that's Victor Garber, who just barely makes the list at age 70. And he's been on the Orville very recently. He's also, uh, of course, known for the alias, which, you know, had some spy-fi-ish elements to it. Uh, yeah, I think certainly enough that we got to consider that genre. But yeah, I didn't th- think about Victor Garber, and I freaking watched the Orville. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, Legends of Tomorrow, can't forget yeah. that. That fits into the genre field. No, I can forget it. <laughs> and then he also mentioned Ted Danson, who I didn't realize was also on the Orville, but of course he's from The Good Place. We had him in our honorable mentions. And then Richard brought up F. Murray Abraham, who was a small guest role on the Orville. He's age 79. Now, he brought up a couple of names I hadn't heard. Ben Cross from Pandora, which is you know currently airing or just finished its first season, and Judith Roberts from Nosferatu, also just finished its first season. Now, I looked up Ben Cross and I realized... He's the guy that's running on the beach in in Chariots of Fire. (laughs) Yeah. In that famous scene. Yeah. And he's also in 12 Monkeys. He plays a small part in 12 Monkeys, one of my favorite shows. So he's 72. Judith Roberts hits the record for the list at age 85 for Nosferatu. And she's been in a lot of different shows, uh, usually just small roles. So you might not recognize her name. But I did notice she was also in the pilot episode of New Amsterdam, not the hospital show, but the one with the immortal guy in it back in 2008, I believe it was. So Judith Roberts is a a good one as well. So thank you, Richard, for that comprehensive list. (laughs) Well, you know, when I looked at David's 
post and he just mentions two male actors, I'm thinking like, oh, there you go, numbers one and two. But then we look at the other names that the listeners have put in the Facebook group, and that would be very difficult if we were going to rank them. But he brings up William B. Davis, who we certainly know as Smoking Man in the X-Files, as we mentioned, and and Continuum. Anthony Hopkins, uh, he must be a sir, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Sir Anthony Hopkins and uh, Sir Patrick Stewart were on our list. But those two... It's interesting that David brought him up as well, because I realized once I introduced the criteria to our listeners that it has to be from a recently canceled, currently airing or about to air show to prove that they're still working. And technically, I guess William B. Davis has been off the air for a little while, uh, not only from X-Files, of course, but also Continuum has has been off the air for a while. But we couldn't help but mention him just because he's been on the podcast. So I'm glad David backed us up on that one. Yeah, one certainly one of the uh, favorite actors we got to interview, but but he was in a couple episodes of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So, oh, okay, that's right. We know. mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> that fits. And then, of course, Linda was really noticing the same thing we did. There's not enough women on this list, so she said, "I'd say Charlotte Rampling and Judy Dench, Chronicles of Riddick, awesome, but that's film." So let's try Blair Brown of Fringe and Limitless. She's 73. And Linda says, hopefully other people have noticed some other women. So I thought, that's interesting that she brought up Blair Brown. First of all, that's another one that I would never have guessed she's over 70. But she is. Remember Nina from Fringe, Dave? <laughs> I do. And and I, again, when I saw Linda's post, I'm thinking like, well, of course. And like you, I'm not sure I would have thought immediately that she was over 70 but i certainly knew she was in that range and i'm how could i forget her fringe and apparently limitless is recent enough to yes. qualify for the list as well yes but then i noticed that linda had mentioned judy dench and charlotte rampling i'm like of course i know dame judy dench but charlotte rampling where have i heard that name before and i realized i had just updated an article a couple of months ago about some casting announcements for the new dune reboot for television Charlotte's going to be playing the Reverend Mother, you know, the one that has the fear is the mind killer speech yeah. <laughs> in the movie. Oh, yeah. So Charlotte Rampling is definitely qualifying because of that soon to air sci-fi series. I believe Dune is coming out in 2020. So Charlotte Rampling, another great choice. Thank you, Linda. And if nothing else, she was in the 1974 classic Zardoz. <laughs> With Sean Connery. Yeah. With Sean Connery. So <laughs> because she went through that, she deserves to be on our list. <laughs> All right. And we also heard from Maureen, who brings up Kate Mulgrew and acknowledges that she's maybe too young, but she does have that sex scene on Mr. Mercedes this week, which would have been worthy of inclusion. (laughs) She's only 64. So, but still, Kate Mulgrew, Star Trek, come on. I know exactly. It's like, I'm not sure I I would have even wanted to see a sex scene with Kate Mulgrew on Star Trek Voyager, much less this many years later, but Mr. Mercedes is Stephen King. I don't think it qualifies as genre per se, but because it's Stephen King, uh, I'm willing to give it a pass. So, but yeah, she's too young, unfortunately, but just glad that people found all these different names that we hadn't thought of and, and some females to boot. So that was a great way to make our list a little bit more comprehensive. So, and you know, guys, thank you for the input. Keep those suggestions coming. We're always looking for ideas for the discussion topic podcasts. 
Yeah, especially uh, in the near future. I think our list has run dry, hasn't it, Dave? We need we need some suggestions. It has, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead and send those to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com or hit us up in the Facebook group as Linda has done in the past. And a couple other people, Talto says certainly emailed us at sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. So definitely do that. It's It's a great way to get your own ideas out there for us to discuss. All right, Mike. So what do we got up next? Well, next we have an interview with someone, we're not quite sure yet who it might be, from the Netflix show Raising Dion, which is about a single mother raising an eight-year-old, seven or eight-year-old budding superhero. A young boy finds out he has powers, and how does he deal with that? And how does she deal with that as his mother? And it's a great show. I had the opportunity to watch a few of the screeners, and man, oh man, are you guys going to love this one. So we had to talk to someone from the show. We're still kind of arranging it. So we'll see who we end up getting for the podcast, but I'm looking forward to discussing it with whomever the publicists are able to get for us. Yeah, but, hopefully it won't be me interviewing you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you saw the trailer, right, Dave? I did. Yeah. It looks great. Yeah. I think that wowed a lot of people. So looking forward to that one next week. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or via email, sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Next week.